So I shared this last night, and oh my gosh, I was overwhelmed. Just overwhelmed with the truth of this word. I was excited. I was being ministered to. I was filled to the overflow. Hi, Denise. It's good to see you back there. And, and so I, I just pray, Father, <laughs> turn up the volume in Jesus' name even more, even more, even more anointing, even more revelation, even more power, even more depth than what we experienced last night, God. I pray for even more in Jesus' name. Okay. So the title of the series is Living in the Fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to live with a little, a little quota or a little measure. Because he's given us the full measure. And that's where he wants us to reside. So I started this teaching last week with some basic um, fundamental teaching and truths. And I'm just going to touch on two of them before we, we move ahead. And that is differentiating between being born in the spirit and being baptized in the spirit. Because there is a difference, and it's important because in mainstream Christianity, many people don't realize the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So being born in the Spirit, most Christians are very aware of. It's when we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. It happens when we believe in our heart, when we declare with our mouth and ask Jesus to come relinquish control, give him our heart, invite him in and say, I need you, Jesus. I want you to be my savior and I give you lordship of my life. At that moment, um, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within us and becomes available to us. Being born in the spirit changes your nature. You become a new creation. The spirit part of you becomes brand new. In scripture, it says the old passes away and all things become new. And you are a new creation in the spiritual realm. You are every, every part of the redemption of Christ is your inheritance. It's awesome. But many people don't live in that fullness of salvation. Being baptized in the spirit, I believe, is a huge key a huge tool for us to move from having the fullness of our inheritance in the spiritual realm to live in the blessing from glory to glory to glory. A couple weeks ago, I taught about blessings are better than miracles because in order to live from miracle to miracle, that means you're living from crisis to crisis. But God has a better plan. He wants us to live from glory to glory. And I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is key. The Bible explicitly talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit seven times. It also gives evidence to the baptism of the Spirit many more times than that. But seven times the words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, are used. Four of them are um, different accounts of the, um, uh, the prophet John the Baptist as he prophesies about Jesus. He says, as Jesus is coming to be baptized, he said, I baptize with water, but someone who is so much greater than me is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Two of those accounts say the Holy Spirit and fire. And then Jesus himself 
says that, yes, John baptized with water unto repentance, but I am going to baptize. Wait, because in a few, in a, in a short time, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself spoke that. In fact, I'm going to read one of them right now. This is Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 8. This, is, this takes place after Jesus has died and been resurrected. And he is just getting ready to ascend into heaven. He has spent 40 days on the earth in, the res, in his resurrected form. And he comes together. He brings the people together. At this time, there are about 500 people assembled together. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's the Holy Spirit. Which he said, you've heard about from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, being born of the Spirit changes your nature. You become a new, you have a new nature. But being baptized in the Spirit changes your ability because you are endued with power from on high. So, this week and next week, we're going to talk about the purpose of the power. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Spirit, how to receive it. We're going to go into depth on all of this because we need to know ignorance is not bliss. People perish from lack of knowledge. People don't live in the fullness of what God has for them because of a lack of knowledge. So my heart as a teacher is to give knowledge clearly, explicitly, simply in a way that you can receive it and live in the fullness that God has for us. So I'm going to teach today and next week two teachings about the purpose of the power. And I see this in a very simple way, that the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is twofold. They're big. Each of the purposes are big. But there's two distinct purposes. The first one that I'm going to teach about today is the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit within you individually for your own spiritual growth to edify you to build you up to to reveal God's word is truth to you all sorts of things we're going to talk about all of them tonight if you're in a journey of any any um, trial or tribulation you definitely need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to get through it but even if you're not in a crisis, we need this precious power of the Holy Spirit to walk in our life, to live from blessing to blessing to blessing to blessing. So that's the first big purpose of the Holy Spirit. The second very big purpose of the Holy Spirit is to work through us, to advance the kingdom of God and to destroy the kingdom of darkness, to enforce the defeat of the kingdom of darkness that's already been destroyed. So that's what Jesus did. Jesus, our Savior, he was called, in the Old Testament, prophetically, he was called the Messiah. In the New Testament, he was called the Christ, Jesus the Christ. Both of those words mean the same thing, and they mean the anointed one. 
the anointed one, and this is what it means, consecrated. Jesus was consecrated when the Holy Spirit came upon him. We talked about this last week. He was consecrated. That means he was set apart, prepared to do the Father's will. That's what consecration means. But he needed help. He needed the power. So he was not only consecrated, separated unto God with nothing separating him, no sin to separate him, but he was also furnished with the power to carry out the messianic calling on his life. He was Jesus the Christ. Now, in this world, we're called Christians. But many Christians don't live up to their name. The word or the name, the label Christian, has the word Christ in it. We are little anointed ones. That's what Christian means. My pastor used to say, little Jesus with the skin on, with skin on. We are Christians, but we should look like Jesus. We have the same um, potential, which is amazing, which is absolutely awe-inspiring and amazing because we too are consecrated unto God. We too have been set apart because sin has been removed. There's no sin in the way and there's no more sin barrier if you're born again because sin has been eliminated. So there's no more sin barrier. So we are consecrated unto God. And if you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you understand the depth and breadth of it, which is what I'm sharing over these weeks that we're in this teaching right now, then you also are furnished with the power to carry on the messianic purpose, which is to advance the kingdom of God and destroy the kingdom of darkness. We are commissioned. Next week, we're going to talk more about that, that commission. Commission means with. We are in a mission with Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. God, the, our God of love, is in, the heaven, in his heavenly throne. But the Holy Spirit is here. In us, among us, through us, upon us. So this baptism of the Holy Spirit gives us the potential to walk in the power that we've been endued with on high. Now, I'm going to give you a couple little nuggets before we get into the purpose of the power because I feel like this is important. I think most of you already know everything I'm telling you, but we're fueling it, right? We're feeding it. We're deepening the roots that are in us, and this is going to go out to the world so I pray right now over this message, and I pray, I love the prayer of Jabez, I pray right now, God, that you bless me indeed with the anointing, the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit as I share this word. And I pray that you expand our territory, that this word about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and living in the fullness of the Spirit goes out to multitudes in Jesus' name. And that you put your hand on my shoulder, on Kent's shoulder, on this, this healing ministry. And you guide us and direct us in your path and your vision. And that you keep us far from evil. Keep evil far from us. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. So here's some nuggets that I need to get out there right now. And here's the first one. This baptism that I'm talking about, this fullness of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And it is for today. Let me read scriptural evidence of that. This is from Acts chapter 2. Let me give you a teeny bit of background. Um, this happens right after the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Peter, right after 120 people are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has endued them with power, he gets up and he preaches a message like he's never preached. Remember, right before Jesus died, he denied Jesus three times for fear, probably for fear of his own safety. And yet, after the Holy Spirit has endued him with power from on high, he stands up and he preaches a word. He preaches Jesus. He preaches the gospel of Christ in such a... Oh, FaceTime with my son. Sorry, buddy. I'll talk to you later. He teaches with such power that 3,000 people are cut to the heart. And they say, what must we do to have what you have? And this is what he responded. Peter replied, repent and return to God. That's a definition of repentance right there. Return to God. It doesn't say to grovel and feel guilty. That's not what it says. It says run to God. Run to God. And each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. So that's the first step. It's being born of the Spirit. And then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, God's promise of the Holy Spirit, is for you and your families. For those yet to be born, that's me, and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's for all of us. There's a scripture that says God desires that none would perish, but all come to his saving grace. He's called us all. His desire, his, his, the, the sacrifice has been paid for all man, for all time. And he says, this is for you and for your families and for those yet to be born. As I was reading this yesterday in preparation, God quickened my heart with the Holy Spirit. And he said, write that down, verse 39. Write that down, Cindy. This is for me. Write that down and start declaring this for your family. Yes. See, he's quickening into your heart too. And he said, Cindy, this is for you. This gift, because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I love the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But he said, it's not just for you, Cindy. It's for you and your families and for those yet to be born. It's for Serafina Lou. It's for Ch Cora, and Cora and Colton. It's for Adam and Marianne and Megan and Gareth and all the babies that are yet to be born in my family. That's his promise for me and for my family. I got excited. Hallelujah. But it's for all of us. That's the first point I want to make. And the second one is that this precious gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is given by God when we simply ask and believe, just like every aspect of redemption, every aspect of the grace of God, forgiveness, salvation, healing, the promise is there, it's in scripture, and in order to receive it, we need to believe it, 
and receive it. I believe there is a time to ask as well, especially if you've never asked before. And then it's a matter of believing and receiving. I'm going to show you this in scripture. This is Luke chapter 11. Next week, I'm going to give you more context and go deeper, but I just want to give you this nugget today and for all of those that are listening online. I love this, this scripture. Jesus is speaking, and he says, if imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, look at the words, what they need. How much more Will the perfect heavenly father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? We're talking about the Holy Spirit's fullness. Scripture says our father will give it because he knows what we need. Jesus came to give us life and a life of abundance. But we need the Holy Spirit to live in that life and that life of abundance. And scripture says, he'll give it when we ask. It's already provided, but we have a part to play. And that part is believing, asking, and then receiving. And again, we'll talk a lot more about that next week. But I wanted to give those nuggets, because I don't want to leave you hanging, saying, okay, Cindy, this is all great, but how do I get it? We'll talk more in depth next week, but there's some nuggets to take home and read and study and meditate on. But today I want to talk about purpose number one. The power of the Holy Spirit works within you for the purpose of growing and strengthening you spiritually. Wow. When I just read that statement and think about how he's done that in my life, I'm just overwhelmed. When I was... Um, saved. I w it was in February of 2002. And the church that I was going to talked about the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit all the time. It was preached from the pulpit. It was shared every week. And every single Sunday, there was an altar call threefold for salvation, for recommitting your heart to the Lord. If you had kind of stepped away or gotten cold or hard hearted or whatever, and for baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember in, I, I was curious, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I had a good friend, Jenny, who I asked all my questions to. And I went to her and I asked her a lot of questions. And she got out her, her Bible and showed me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, taught, shared. I'm sure, Aline, I asked you about it in small group. And um, I remember in April, that Sunday, I told Kent before we went to church, I said, I'm going up. I want everything that God has for me. I'm answering that altar call. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit because I want everything that God has for me. And I did. I went up that day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, at, at the end of the service, it was, I know it was Pastor or Minister Nancy that, that, was, that, that prayed with me. And I'll, again, talk more about laying on of hands and praying and asking next week. But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I asked and I believed. I didn't have a supernatural God, um, you know, tangible experience. I didn't have that. But I asked, and Scripture said when I asked, I would receive. And I believed. 
I did pray in the spirit immediately. I did pray in tongues immediately. But let me tell you, when I walked out of there, I, I thought, was that me making that up or was that the Holy Spirit? Probably almost everybody that had started praying in the spirit asked that question. But I trusted God. I just said, you said it, I believe it, period. And then over time, I started to see the evidence of this power of the Holy Spirit that I was endued with. And if I could use one word to, to describe it to you, it would be the word acceleration. Because my walk with God, my, my um, revelation in the word, my growing in faith for healing was accelerated. Remember, I told you, I know I've told you this many times. At the beginning of my journey, I felt like all of those good news promises, specifically about healing, it was like a fairy tale to me. It was really good news, but it didn't feel real to me. And it was like, oh, too good to be true. But after I was baptized in the Spirit, and I was meditating on the Word, reading the Word, um, praying, having a, a new prayer um, communion, with God, that faith was just accelerated to the point where within a month or two or three, I was so on fire that you couldn't be in a room with me without me talking about God and the Holy Spirit and this and that and the other thing. <laughs> Probably the person that heard a lot of it, not the most, but a lot, was the principal of my school. And she wasn't born again. And she certainly wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, by, the, by the fall, because I couldn't keep quiet. And she was a good friend of mine as well. I couldn't keep quiet. I was telling her everything that God was showing me. I had all these God incidences in my life. And I, was, I knew it was God. They, just, they were too coincidental not to be him. And I would go and I would tell her the next thing. And I would tell her the next thing. And I would tell her the next thing. That fall one day... I kept asking, do you want what I have? Do you want, to, you know, I, I'll pray with you right now. And she would always say, mm, no, I, I'm, I'm not ready. I don't understand. I need to think about this. I need to, you know. And I, anyway, um, mid-fall, was back at school. I was healed by then. And one day she met, met me in the hall and she said, Cindy, um, can you come into my office for a minute? I want to talk to you. Well, whenever she said that, it was always school stuff, right? Kids stuff whatever. I mean, she all the time because I was a learning consultant. So we talked about school stuff all the time. So I said, sure. So I went in her office. She closed the door. She said, will you pray with me for salvation? Yeah. Is that cool or what? And oh my gosh, I was just overwhelmed. And then about, I don't know, a few months later, met me in the hall again. She said, Cindy, uh, do you have a minute? <laughs> could you come in my office? I went in her office. She shut the door and she told me about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that cool or what? That's another whole story. I won't go. Maybe I'll tell you more about that next week, but it was amazing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was in me just flowing like a fire. Two of the um, prophetic words that are spoken say that the, that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's, we need to keep that word fire in our minds, not just Holy Spirit, but fire, because that's what happens. There's just this burning, this, this fire that comes 
with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I've got five things I want to share with you. Number one, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Remember, we're talking about the purpose of the power for you individually. This isn't just at the beginning. This is your whole life long. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. However, when the Holy Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. When I did my Karis Bible College, and they were teaching about the Holy Spirit, they used two words to describe this. They use the word positional truth and experiential truth. The word positional truth means understanding, intellectual understanding from the Bible, studying the Bible, understanding the Bible. But there can be a problem that goes with positional truth. And the word that is used in theology is the word mental assent. Mental assent is when you make a choice to agree with the Bible, to agree with God, but it's not here. It's here. And that's good. I'm not saying it's not good because you're agreeing with God, but it's a mental assent. It's not a spiritual agreeing or a heart agreeing. The other word, experiential truth, is the heart. It's when that light has gone on, that fire is in the word. And just like me, it went from a fairy tale, too good to be true, to absolute, absolute truth, real. The word became more real to me. The promise of healing became more real to me than the doctor's report of stage four melanoma. When that happens, when it's real to you from God. It's yours. And that is the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit shining the light on the word and bringing it alive. Now, in this last year, same thing happened. But it was new and fresh and different. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same scripture. It wasn't the same experience. It was different because the Holy Spirit is always fresh and new. The fire was new it was reignited, but it was different. It was, oh my gosh. I just had this picture. My husband loves to build big fires. <laughs> and at the cottage, we do lots of clearing of land and, and after storms, gathering brush and stuff. And he doesn't build little fires. He builds big fires. Like, like as tall as this room. Seriously, I am not kidding. The fires are as tall as this room. That's what I just saw. And when I was telling you about this year, that was the fire. And what happened? I had scriptures. God um, uh, highlighted scriptures to me. And then I took those scriptures and I started meditating on them. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in me, I'm endued with power on high. And the Holy Spirit in me brought those, those words alive in an amazing way. I've told you and I'm going to keep telling you. I was edified. I was built up. That word was medicine, not a little bit of medicine, but massive doses of medicine for my soul, for my body. And that's 
given by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. In this scripture, this is important, it says, um, he will guide you, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. The Spirit of God will only speak what he hears the Father. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, would only speak what he heard the Father speak. He would only do what he saw the Father do. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are always in unity. It is, they are a triune God. The Holy Spirit and his truth will always agree with the word. That's important. So if you are, or you believe you're hearing from the Holy Spirit, you believe you're hearing truth, make sure it aligns with the promise in the word. Make sure it aligns with Jesus' teaching. If it doesn't, disregard it. It is a lie. Because the Spirit of God will always agree with the word of God. The second point I want to make in this, or actually the third point, is that he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit will give you will show you things to come. In my journey, I saw the end of the story. I saw in my heart, in my mind's eye, in the word, in the, the, the reality of the word, I saw myself healed. And I, I, that became, this sounds really strange, but that wasn't my focal point. Why? Because it was already done. I had seen it, I knew it was mine. It was already done. So my focus during my journey was on my journey and what God was doing one step at a time, one day at a time, one word at a time, because the end result was already done. Because I'd seen it. He will show you things to come. He will tell you things to come. And many times that's in his word. He tells you things to come because the word gives you the end of the story. Once it's quickened to your heart, it's finished. I saw the end of the story before I lived the end of the story because the Holy Spirit enlightened me. Number two, I'm going to read John 14, 26, and then we're going to talk about another amazing gift that the Holy Spirit will bring. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring remembrance and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Last week when we looked at that acronym, catch us, remember, there's a T in there because he's your teacher. Now, I am so thankful that God has given me this, the gift of teaching. But what does a teacher do? A teacher clarifies. A teacher illuminates. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Inspires. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take that one too. But that's what a teacher does. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So what does he clarify and what does he illuminate? He clarifies and he illuminates. And he encourages us with Jesus' teaching, with Jesus' words, with Jesus' directions, with Jesus' teachings. Because it says that he will send my father and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. That's Jesus. And so 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us and he brings to our remembrance what we need when we need it. I love that part. Like he did this morning when I was in prayer and he brought to my remembrance charcoal. Many times what he brings to my remembrance is a specific word from scripture for a specific time. Something that I don't even have memorized. I have no idea where it's at in the Bible, but it will just come to me in the midst of prayer or in the midst of ministering to somebody or for myself. It just brings to my remembrance. He also often brings to my remembrance um, a testimony. Testimonies are prophetic. And so in the midst of something, it'll just, a testimony will come to my heart to share with that person for that time. And it might be one I haven't even thought of for years, but he reminds me of it. So Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will teach us everything and will remind us of everything that he has told us. This teaching, this clarifying and illuminating will bring wisdom. We need wisdom. Wisdom is perception to discern and then apply that truth, that, that thing that he shows you. It brings wisdom. This illumination and clarifying brings wisdom. Perception and a, a step to take. Number three. The Holy Spirit will reveal the deep things or mysteries of God to you. Oh, I'm smiling because I love this. I love it. Um, the, the word that I use for the mysteries or the deep things of God is revelation knowledge. I'm going to read this scripture from 1 Corinthians 2. We're going to come back to this a couple times over the next couple weeks. Verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the wisdom once hidden from man, but now revealed to us by God. That wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, to lift us into the glory of his presence. Go ahead and go to the next slide. For God has unveiled them and revealed them to us through the Holy Spirit. So let me just pause there for a second. These deep things of God, these mysteries or these thoughts of God were hidden. They were, they were not for us to know until we were born again, until we were prepared in a couple ways, our spirit was filled, our, our, our spirit man was filled with every part of redemption, and there's no more sin to get in the way. So now there's a way for us to know the deep things of God. We're prepared, and now they're being revealed. And listen how it happens. For the spirit searches all things diligently, even sounding and measuring the profound depths of God, the divine counsels, and the things far beyond human understanding. That's good. When we say, I trust you, Lord, and I give up my right to understand, well, we need the Holy Spirit because our understanding is gone. We're not trying to do it on our own. So we need understanding of bigger things, better things, and that happens through the Holy Spirit. Verse 11. For what person knows the thoughts and motives of a man except 
the man's spirit within him. I'm going to pause again. I love this. It's so simple. What the scripture is saying is that you can't read my mind. The only one who knows my thoughts and my motives are me. Unless I tell you. They're in my heart. They're in my spirit. They're in my brain. They're in my whatever. They're in me. And you will not know them. But I do because it's part of me. And then the next verse says, so also. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Here comes the amazing part. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given to us by God. That's the wisdom. That's the promises. That's the, the new understanding, the new revelation, the great stuff God has for us. But the reason we can have it, the reason we can know it, the reason we can have this revelation is because the Spirit of God resides in us. This is another purpose of the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know my own thoughts, and because the Spirit of God resides in me, I can know the thoughts of God. I have the potential. Wow, I just felt the Spirit just settle right there on that statement. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was preparing. And, and when I get revelation, I get bits, I get pieces, I get an aha on a certain topic for a certain, you know, certain thing. It's usually subtle. It's usually um, just what I need when I need it. But it's not everything. God is so good. He's such a gentleman. He gives us what we need specifically at that moment in time. If we had everything, we would probably be completely overwhelmed. But he reveals it to us. It's in us. The spirit is in us. And he reveals to us what we need just when we need it. Just like he did with me yesterday, today, when he said, this promise of the Holy Spirit, Cindy, it's for you and your family and for those yet to be born. Romans 8, verse 16. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Spirit himself thus testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. I'm going to break this down. The word testifies. The word testifies means a solemn declaration under oath. The Holy Spirit testifies together with my spirit, together with your spirit. I'm filled with the spirit. I, I am baptized with the spirit. And the power I'm endued with connects with me to testify with me for this purpose. To give me assurance that I am the child of God. Now stop and think about that for a minute. In my brain, it, without the Holy Spirit, if it's just Cindy's spirit, is there any way possible that I could have understanding of revelation that I am born of God? Probably not. At least maybe mental assent. But there's no way that that could even compute in my heart. 
yes, I can understand in the natural that I am the child of Darwin and Ruthie Johnston. They, are, they came together many years ago. Two cells were combined. And, and science says, this is how it works, and that baby, me, was conceived. I was in my mama's womb, and I was born. But to be born of God, to be a child of God, there's no way that could happen without God revealing it to your heart. You might know the word. You might have it here. You might have read it. But for that to click and to say, I'm a child of God, the Holy Spirit has to come in conjunction and in union with your spirit to bring that thing to life. That's too big of a, that's too big of a word. That's too big of a promise to receive any other way. But here's what I want to share with you. You can take those words, children of God, and put a blank there and fill in that blank with any promise of God. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit himself, has the power and the potential, because you're endued with that power, has the power, the potential, to testify like a solemn oath a solemn declaration from God himself to you to testify together with your spirit, assuring you of whatever's in that blank, assuring you of his healing promise, assuring you of your salvation, assuring you of his love for you. Fill in the blank, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit, thus testifies with your spirit and it comes alive assuring you that the Holy Spirit baptism is for you and your children you and your family even those that haven't yet been born that's what he quickened in my heart yesterday fill in the blank that's the power of the revelation of the spirit now I put these bullet points there I just want to this uh, again this is so big and so powerful, it just overwhelms me. This potential, this quickening of the Holy Spirit with your own spirit to bring these, these promises alive is like flipping a switch. Remember I talked about the word illumination. It's like turning it on, turning on the promise, flipping the switch, illuminating the promise. And when the promise is illuminated, and let's talk about healing right now. When the promise is illuminated, when the light is on, when the spirit is testified with your spirit in such a way that you're assured that you're healed before you see the healing, and you're assured this is what happens. When lights turn on, darkness is killed, right? When the light of healing goes on, the lie of sickness is canceled out. The lie of pain, the, 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 the worldview, whatever it is, is canceled out, and it's, it's turned off because God is turned on. The Holy Spirit is turned on in your heart, and healing has become alive in you. See that, flip, that switch flipped? See that switch turned on? This is what happens. When God has spoken to our heart, we move into a higher authority. We're standing taller, we're standing stronger. We're standing bolder. 
and we're declaring the word with power. I call it a holy roar. It's not just a puny little, well, I hope so. It's a holy roar saying, I know so. When the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit and you're assured, that's what happens. Number four, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. I'm going to read John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11, and then get ready to hear some really good news. But in fact, Jesus is speaking, and he says, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of coming judgment. Verse 9. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So as Jesus is giving us the promise of the Spirit and the power that we'll be endued with, he talks about this. He talks about these three things. And he uses the word convict. He says the Holy Spirit will convict you of these three things. That word convict is a legal term. And it literally means to determine the truth of a charge. Jesus knew that we needed conviction of this. So let me tell you what we need conviction of. Holy Spirit, have your way right now. We are to be convicted, I'm, let me back up, the world, the world, it says, verse 9, the world is to be convicted of sin. Not believers. Believers are in the world, but we are not of the world. Believers, when we have received Jesus as our Savior, have been saved from sin already. We have been saved from the power of sin. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. But the world hasn't. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of the real nature of sin and their need for a Savior. Let me say that again. This, is, this may be the first time you've heard this. The Holy Spirit will convict the world. Can, can you go back one screen, please? I want to read verse, the verse right before this. I'm sorry. I must have been wrong. I'm sorry, honey. Um, let me find it. Okay, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. And then in verse 9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. I believe in him. Do you believe in him? Sin is no longer an issue for us. Listen to this. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in Jesus. Notice this, that word sin is singular. It doesn't have an S on the end. There is only one sin that sends people to hell. Because the sin issue was paid for through Jesus and his blood. 
And the sin is not believing in Jesus. But we were there once. Every one of us had to make the decision for ourselves to believe in Jesus and receive. We needed to be convicted of our need of a Savior. We needed that. And the Holy Spirit did that for us. Listen to this. I realized this several years ago. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. It never says to receive Jesus, that you need to confess all of your sins, and, 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 and it doesn't say that. It says many times in Scripture, believe and you will be saved. In Romans 10, it says, believe in your heart that Jesus has died and been resurrected from the dead, and you will be saved. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It never says, confess all your sins. When the jailer is saying, what must I do to be saved? Believe. Why? Because once we're born again, all sin issue has been completely taken care of. But the Holy Spirit does convict the world of sin. Secondly, the Holy Spirit will convict us of God's righteousness. Let's look at righteousness, verse 10. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. We need to be convicted of righteousness, of God's righteousness in us. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We need that conviction, friends. We need to know that we know that we know that we're righteous. My pastor would say, we need to be righteousness conscious instead of sin conscious. We're no longer um, polluted by sin. Sin has been eliminated. We're white as snow and we'll always be white as snow. Jesus was saying, my children, you need to know your righteousness. You need to know who you are. It's your state of being. It's, it's, your, it's who you are. This, this scripture about the Holy Spirit really delves deep into being born of the Spirit. Because this is who we are when we're born in the Spirit. And the third thing that the Holy Spirit will convict us of is the judgment of Satan. When we read this, it, it, this scripture is so, so misinterpreted. But this is talking about the judgment of Satan. Look at verse 11. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. We need to know that Satan has been defeated. Now, when Jesus was on that cross, dying, the enemy thought they'd won. That Satan and his cohorts thought they had won. So here was this Messiah. He came to the earth. He had done his miracles. He had done his signs. And they were going to wipe him off the face of the earth. But it didn't work. Because the opposite happened. Let's look at Colossians. I love this word. Colossians, I believe it's chapter 3. There it is. Chapter 2. 
Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the, the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them their ability to accuse us, every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Praise you, Jesus. So the world thought that they were judging Jesus, but that is not what happened. In the Passion Study Notes, this is what it says. This word implies that between the day of crucifixion and the day of resurrection, while in the spirit realm, Jesus destroyed death. He destroyed the powers of darkness and every work of the enemy through the blood of his cross. All the enemy's weapons have been stripped away from him. He's disarmed. He has no more weapons. And now, me, you, us, the church, we have authority in Christ to enforce this triumph upon the disthroned rulers of this world. But we need conviction of that. The Holy Spirit will convict us of that truth. Conviction is the truth of a charge. And we need convicted of this truth. We need to know that the enemy has been disarmed. We need to know that we now, our roles have been reversed. He no longer has dominion over us. We have dominion over him. And we need to stand up in that role because that's where victory comes from. So if you're talking about living from blessing to blessing, if you're talking about the, being endued with power to defeat cancer, to defeat pain, to defeat depression, whatever it is. We need to stand in authority because the enemy has been defeated. Cancer has been defeated. Depression has been defeated. Pain has been defeated. But we need to stand up and enforce that defeat. So in the little box on your paper, it says, your sin has been dealt with. Your righteousness is in Christ, and your enemy has been eternally defeated. Is that good news? Amen. I pray right now that that is so deep in your heart that it just overtakes you. If that's the first time you've heard that, that piece of teaching about being convicted of the world, being convicted of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, Go back and listen to it again and again and again. Read those scriptures again and again and again. Because people have bought the lie that it's the opposite of what I shared. I'm not going to go there right now. And because of that, they're not standing up in who they are. They're not standing up in their true identity with Christ. Number five. This is the last one I'm going to share. The Holy Spirit builds you up uplifts you spiritually and energizes your faith. This is such good news. We need this. We so need to be built up. In Luke, I'm sorry, Jude, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 20 and 21. I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're just going to break it down. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 
This could be a whole teaching, this one, this one verse, beautiful verse. It starts with the word beloved. Uh, God's just loving on us. And in this verse, you'll see why. Because there's three amazing nuggets here that God is giving us. The first one is our potential for being built up in our most holy faith. To have your faith built up. To have your faith strengthened. To have it energized. But we have a part to play. And it has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It talks about praying in the Holy Spirit there. Praying in the Holy Spirit, that's referring to praying in tongues, praying in your prayer language. And when we pray, we're going to talk a lot more about that in the next two weeks. When we pray in our prayer language, we're edified. We're strengthened. We're built up. Praying in tongues comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And with this precious treasure. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It is a gift. The gift of the Spirit, the gift of tongues is um, uh, I'm going to distinguish between the gift of tongues and building yourself up praying in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about that next week. But praying in the Holy Spirit has the potential to edify us. That word edify means to make progress. It means to Lift or to rise higher and higher like an edifice. The word edification and edifice have the same root word. An edifice is a large building that is bigger than all the others, and it is imposing in its appearance. So think of this. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about the spies going to the promised land. They were told to possess the land. But when they went to the land, they saw the giants, and they saw themselves as grasshoppers. But when we pray in the Holy Spirit, the opposite happens, because we get built up, built up. We make progress spiritually. We see ourselves differently, and we see the enemy differently. And instead of seeing the enemy or the cancer or the pain as a giant, we become the giants, and the enemy becomes the grasshopper. We change roles. That's our right role. That's our true role. But praying in the Spirit builds us up into that position. So that's the first part of the Scripture. Build yourself up. Energize your faith. Build yourself up by praying in the Spirit. But that's not where it ends, because there's a comma. And after the comma, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And that word keep, this is important. It means to attend carefully. It means to take care of, to guard, to observe the love of God. Love is everything. God's love is everything. Faith works through love. Faith works through Knowing God's love. So the Holy Spirit, oh, thank you, God. The Holy Spirit thus testifies with our own spirit, assuring us that we are loved. Keep it. Guard that truth. Nurture it. Feed it. Water it. 
by meditating on his love for you, by, by letting him love you. Just like that song we began this evening with, saying, God, you are here. You are here. You are near. And just knowing that he loves you. So that's the second precious gift in the scripture. And then the third one is after the next comma, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That word looking has nothing to do with your eyes. It means to accept or to receive. Accept, receive the mercy of Jesus. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. But receive it. Think about you loving on your kids and giving them a beautiful gift. They did nothing to earn it. They don't deserve it, maybe. But you love them. How would you feel if they didn't accept it? You would be disappointed. You would be probably hurt. You may be angry. You want your children to accept these precious gifts you give them. Jesus paid such a great price. We don't get what we deserve. He wants us. That word looking means accept, receive the mercy. When people say, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I've done too much, and they qualify the gift of Jesus and say, mm -mm, no, I'm just, I can't receive it, I'm not worthy. That is a subtle form of pride. And that hurts the heart of the Lord because he paid such a great price. And yet they're not accepting it. They're not receiving it. Look, accept the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The next word is unto. That word unto means which will bring you unto eternal life. When you accept, when you receive this mercy that Jesus Christ purchased for us, it will bring you unto eternal life. Forever Zoe. Eternal life. Eternal. Everlasting. Without end. Never to cease. Forever Zoe. Zoe is life the way Jesus came to give it. The fullness of life that he intends us to live. The blessing, living from blessing to blessing, from glory to glory. It's a life that's real and genuine. A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed. It's the life that Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that he came to give. Now this Zoe life is our potential right here on this earth with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We're endued with power on high to live this life. And it's amazing. But there's even more. Because this eternal life doesn't end when we end our life on this earth. When we are promoted to heaven, our Zoe life is even better because not only do we have what we have here on earth, we have more. We have no more tears, no more sorrow. We have our new heavenly body 
strong and young and whole, we have the fullness of our beautiful home and the environment that we will be in in heaven. And we will be face to face with God. We will be in that place of his love. His pure love. His perfect wave after wave of love. We'll be at the throne of the Father's grace. We, we go before his throne now in the spiritual realm, but then we will be face to face in the throne room forever, Zoe. Oh my goodness. God, I pray right now <laughs> that the bigness, the greatness of your Holy Spirit promise is illuminated in our heart and in our soul and in our life. That we accept and receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Being born of the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit, endued with power from on high, immersed in your, in your presence, in your power. I pray that uh, we do grow stronger spiritually. We are edified. Our faith is energized as we allow you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in us, within us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that even this moment, you are just here so beautifully. I know you're always here. I know you're always with me. But right now, I sense your presence. I'm not just saying that, guys, because that's what I taught on. I sense his presence so, so sweetly right now. So powerfully. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you, Abba, Father, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, and Holy Spirit. We love you. We worship you. We adore you. Holy Spirit, fill this room. Shekinah glory, sweet perfume. We need your presence. We need you. Holy Spirit, fill this Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, I know that you are with us. I know that you never leave us nor forsake us. And I know that you are available for all of us. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. So if you have never asked for the Holy Spirit baptism, I invite you to ask. Remember that 
asking, believing, and receiving all go together. Father, I pray that even the words that I've shared have stirred hearts to believe, to simply believe this really good news that I'm sharing, and to ask and receive all that you have for them. If you would like to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, will you come to me afterwards? I, will, I like to pray for people personally because sometimes you feel like you're put on the spot if we pray, you know, corporately. If you would like to pray tonight, we're going to talk more about this for the next two weeks. If you want to wait, if you want to hear more, if you want your, the teaching to be deep in your heart, it won't hurt my feelings. But if you're saying, I'm not waiting another day, <laughs> Come, talk to me or one of our ministry team, and we would love to lay hands on you and to ask God with you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. He's so